So my sermon today is going to just be two parts. Sorry for those of you that enjoy the three-point sermons. <laughs> two parts today, but don't feel like you're going to be shorter. And it's very simple. One of those is the question which Jesus was asked on that day, as Luke reports it. And the other is the parable that he told in response to the question to the man who asked it. And so we begin, of course, with the question that was asked of him. And I really don't think that it was out of order that Jesus was asked that question. It was a great gathering, a great crowd. In fact, the first verse of that chapter, Luke reports to us that many thousands were there. And so they were trampling one another because they wanted to come and hear Jesus teach. They were seeking out a word from God. And this rabbi who had the words that lead to life. And so this man calls out from the crowd, not a religious teacher, no one in the religious hierarchy, but just someone unnamed. And the question that he asked is, Teacher, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance between us and give me part of it? And I'm assuming that the man's brother was there with him. Maybe his intent was to try to get Jesus to, to give him an amen corner so that when he got home for Sunday lunch or the dinner table that night, he could say, I told you so, that you should share some of that inheritance that our Father left with me. But the problem with that is it put Jesus in a, a predicament because, well, in the Jewish law and the Jewish tradition, the firstborn got all the inheritance. It may not seem fair to us, but that's the way it was. And so the man was asking Jesus to go against the law that said that's how rightly and justly that things ought to be passed down. Jesus would have no part of that and did not give the man what he wanted. The second thing, other than him asking for something that was not duly his, is that the man exposed himself as being being jealous, if you will, of his brother and what he rightfully had. And in fact, obviously, because Jesus lays out his parable with these opening words, that he is a man that is greedy in the way that he's looking at life. People would come to Jesus and they would ask questions about all kinds of things. He had the answers about life. But this man came along and asked a question about wealth. And Jesus challenged him. Now, I think it's good for me to hear today. I know it is. And I would imagine all of us that what we take to God in prayer, we need to be wise and, and mindful of that. I think Jesus, whose name we pray to God in, is always listening and, and is always willing to hear whatever's on our hearts. We can always cry out if we're hurting. We can always say, thank you, Lord, when something good happens. We can always lift up and ask for other people. We can lift up for a personal concern that we have of our own. And they're all heard. But it's important for us to know that, that the valuable prayers, the ones I think that are heard most, are those of great need that we have and not just great wants. And you understand the difference between that, don't you? Yeah, just the chapter before in Luke, Jesus was asked that famous question by his disciples, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And do you remember? 
the prayer, the teaching prayer that he taught. We say it most Sundays that we didn't today. The Lord's Prayer. That prayer that teaches us the right way in which to approach Jesus in prayer. Well, the words, of course, are famous. But things such as give us this day our daily bread are what we ought to pray for our basic needs in life. Not for, for great wealth and not for great fame and fortune. Jesus said, pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven to God. Instead of saying, I want my will to be done and God, here's how I want you to lay it out for me. The man's spirit in which he came and asked Jesus, the question is important for us to hear because we need to be wise in the way in which we present our request to God. Not in a, a way that comes across as, as greedy and self-serving. So the question that was asked of Jesus is important for us to hear because it's to who, him in whom it, it is in him and through his name that we pray to God. But the second part of the sermon, and, and what I want us to hear is this parable that he tells to, to challenge this man in seeking out life. He tells him, and he, he lays it out beforehand, that we should be on guard for all kinds of greed because life is not found in abundance of possessions. It, it's easy for us to, to get tripped up and think that life and its value is measured in things of this world that we see all around us. And yet Jesus comes in, breaks in, and tells us that it's not the things of this world, but of the world to come, that truly give to us purpose and meaning in life. And it challenges us. Be on your guard, Jesus said. Be on your guard. His response to this man's question was the story of this farmer who, who struck it rich, right? He had really done well that year. So much that all of the grain that he grew could not fit into the barns that he previously had built. And I imagine some years found quite empty after the harvest had come in. And yet the man found this tremendous amount of, of overabundance and blessing in his life. And he decided that, that he would come up with a way to preserve that and to keep it. Now, it's important for us to hear that in the story, Jesus presents the pronouns that this farmer uses in talking about the blessing that he receives in this crop. And he thinks to himself out loud as Jesus is teaching us, what is it that I am going to do with all of this extra grain? I have no place to store my crops, Jesus said. The man uh, spoke. I know what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build new ones, he said. And then I'll say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. Take it easy in life. And so the man is very much self-congratulatory in the great year that he's had and the success that he's had in his business. And it's okay to celebrate good times, right? It is. It is. Yeah, you've heard before, if you've ever worked the stock market or if if your retirement is in investment funds of these things called uh, unicorn stocks, have you heard the term before? You know, unicorns are the mythical creatures, right, that have a, a horn on their head, and, and I think they, they run and rainbows follow after them in stars. But they're, they're mythical creatures that almost seem too good to be true. They are, in fact, that. 
And there's something that investors call unicorn stocks, which, which are usually exciting tech stocks like, like Uber or like Snapchat that people want to hurry up and invest in because it's the hot new thing, and yet rarely does it pay off the investment that people put into it. One might hit it big, but not so often. And we need to be mindful that not always are we going to have a great abundance of blessing for the things that we do, the work that we put in in life, and the, uh, the investment that we put in. This farmer, though, is very congratulatory because he's hit it big. And he's thinking of himself, obviously, instead of saying, God, what should I do about this great abundance, this blessing that I receive? In fact, in, in contrast to the man using the me and the I pronouns of what his plan's going to be, what is it that Jesus says? He starts out this parable by saying, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, not the man himself. Now, I don't know much about farming. I've done gardens a time or two. I know a couple of farmers that I talk with from time to time. But I'm pretty sure that, that there's a lot of factors involved in, in having a really good, abundant crop, such as this man, that have absolutely nothing to do with the farmer. Am I right, perhaps? What are the things that it takes for crops to grow out in the field? No idea? Rain? Sunshine? Anything else? Nutrients in the dirt, in the ground. Timing has a lot to do with it, right? It does. Those old-timers that rely upon the almanac to say, hey, now's the time to put it in the ground? All of those factors are uncontrollable, and they are gifts from God. They are all things that are part of God's created order that enables a farmer to plant and to grow and to to produce a great crop. And so we need to be mindful in hearing this story that, that everything that we have is a gift from God, as was the man's abundant crop, though he did not recognize or maybe stop to say, what would God have me to do with this instead of just what I want to do with it? The land of the rich man produced abundantly. How is it that God has blessed you in your life. I hope this week that you'll take stock of that, that you'll think about all of the, the great things that God has done among you and in your life, and even give thanks where thanks is due. If it's God, then give thanks as a witness, prayer during the Thanksgiving meal you may gather for. Give thanks to someone for a place they hold in your life or something that they do that blesses you. Think about, how is it, God, with these blessings I have, that I am to use them for your glory and for your kingdom? That, that's what a servant does, right? They look to the king. They say, how may I be at your service, Lord, king, God? And they listen and they wait to hear where it is and how it is that God would have you to use your abundance in your life. Now, I'm not just talking about money, though that is what Jesus' parable is about.
But he says, be careful of greed of all kinds of things. And this morning, as you come forward a little bit uh, in just a few minutes to bring your, your service commitments for next year, it asks, how are these abundant things in your life going to be used for God's kingdom's sake? Prayer. How is that gift that we have of access to God to go and pour out our hearts and ask whatever it is we need, how is it that we're going to use that for, for Christ and for his kingdom and for the church? How about presence? I'm not speaking here of God's presence with us, but, but this presence, this community, this cloud of witnesses in the church, how is it that, that we can use this to be a witness to God and to his kingdom? And for his glory, how can we build up this community of faith and help us to be stronger and united together in greater ways to be a presence in the community and to the world together? How about your gifts? What spiritual abilities do you have or what, what God-given talents do you have? Whether it's to grow a great crop and, and from the abundance blessed by giving a gift to God through the church, or is it some ability you have in which you can serve and use skills and talents in and through the church? How is it that you can use your gifts in abundance as a servant to Christ in his kingdom? How is it? How is it that through your, your service, being on a committee or serving in a capacity of, of helping someone in need, not just in the church, but certainly in the church, through the church, but even in the community. How is it that you can use your time that you have? We may not have a lot of money, but I would imagine a lot of us have an abundance of time that we could easily just spend doing things we like to do. What if we took a portion of that and used it to serve God in a new way, to serve God by serving other people, shining the light of Christ? And then witness, how is it that we can use our relationships, our, our connections, our network of friends and family to be a witness for Christ, to share our love for him and talk about what he has done for us and to invite people to come and be a part of a community of faith. How is it that you are being called to be a servant of Christ with all that you have and all that he has given to you? That's the question for us as we take stock and think about this season of Thanksgiving. Well, I want to close before I invite you to come forward during our closing hymn today to, to bring your cards and, and your piece of the puzzle. I just want to share with you a quick illustration that comes from uh, a TV series that Jenny and I have been watching uh, the last couple of weeks. It's on Netflix, it's called The Crown, and seasons one and two came out some time back, but season three just came out, and I don't binge watch TV, but it's a fascinating story, all three seasons, and there will be more, of the story of the royal dynasty in Britain, particularly about the rise and the ascendancy to the throne of Queen Elizabeth II, who is queen now, queen mother of all of Britain. Now, the, the, 
The royal family um, has a lot going for them, the House of Windsor, if you will. Um, they, they have great power and rule over all the British Empire, which is not what it used to be, but still quite vast. They have a whole lot of wealth. Uh, they are just stinking filthy rich. Um, the other thing they have going for them is, is good genetics or maybe just a crack team of physicians that, that serve them every day because the queen now, Queen Elizabeth II is 93 years old and still sharp and active in her service. Her husband, Prince Philip, is 98 years old and still living as well. Well, I was watching last week, episode four of this season, and it's about Prince Philip, who, who married Elizabeth when she was much, much younger, and he was of humble, humble beginnings. He was born, and the, the episode told this story, which I never knew, and I'm learning a lot of history about Britain and, and the monarchy. He was born in Buckingham Palace. His mother was was a princess of, of Denmark and of Greece, I believe it was. Her name was, was Alice in this episode, and was her name. And the episode contrasted the great wealth of the Windsor dynasty in the 1960s after Prince Philip had gone out and complained, quite honestly, that his wife, Queen Elizabeth, and his family had not gotten a pay raise from the government in over 10 years. Well, you can imagine how that went over. This family that has great power and owns palaces and, and castles and yachts and things provided by the government, but which they own, you can imagine that didn't go over so well. And so Prince Philip has to, to jump out and do a PR campaign, if you will, among the British people, trying to convince them that, that the royal dynasty is not something to be done away with after all, that they have value and worth. And so he, he works with the BBC, the broadcasting arm uh, there in Britain, to have, well, it was a reality TV show in, in Buckingham Palace, one of the first ones ever, a documentary about the royals and what their life was like. And so he was trying to prove their worth and value to, to have more wealth given to them. And meanwhile, in the middle of the episode, his mother enters the picture. She has flown back to Britain from Greece, where she has lived pretty much since after she had Philip as a baby. And there she has been serving for, for decades as as a nun in a convent in Athens, helping the poorest of the poor, serving those that had great need, doing work of a kingdom of a different kind than her son Philip and all of his married in family were doing. And it contrasted the two, his, his being threatened by his poor mother coming in the midst of trying to do this, this documentary to show everyone how important the wealth of the monarchy was. And in a moment, at the end of the show, he comes to a revelation. Comes to a revelation that perhaps it's not all of the wealth and all of the power and all of the glory and the standard of living that really matters, but it, it is the things that his mother quietly, silently has been doing to serve the world and the needs and God. 
through her convents and through the ministry of, of the nuns that she led there in Athens. And at the very end, she was asking Philip, mother to son, and they hadn't spoken in many years, how is your faith, son? And he used the word dormant. And she said, you should use it more often because it will help you. And then she stopped and said, no, it won't just help you. It is everything. Your faith is everything, she said. It was a powerful contrast between, between wealth and service, between the haves and the have-nots in the world. It was a great lesson and reminder to us all of what it is that Jesus came to do in the world, and that was to come and to show us the way that leads to true life, not caught up in, in the abundance of all of the things that we have here and now, but instead using those generously to bless others and to serve our, our King that is the Most High. 